Welcome to Street Smart Success. This is Roger Becker, your host. In every market, there's always a deal. Somewhere, there's an older landlord that's self-managed his own property and just wants to get out. These are often buildings with under-market rents and unnecessarily high expenses. Today's guest, Robert Rixer, co-founder of EJ Investment Group and CityPoint, has found incredible off-market deals in Chicago with cap rates in excess of 8 to 10%. So today we have with us a man from Down Under who is uh, in the heartland, the hub of the heartland, Chicago, Illinois. And he is a uh, very, very uh, talented and successful real estate guy who's doing some interesting things. He is the partner in EJ Investment Group, which has about 250,000 square feet of office plus 150 residential units and growing. Uh, He is also a partner in CityPoint which brokers uh, multifamily deals to out-of-state buyers um, with good cash flow and other things which we'll get to. And so, Robert Rixer, welcome to Street Smart Success. Thanks for having me on, Roger. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, appreciate that intro as well. Of course. And tell me, like, where from down under are you exactly and how how and why did you wend your way up to uh, the United States and uh, Chicago uh, in particular? Yeah, so I was born and raised in uh, Perth, Australia. For uh, those who don't know, it's southwest uh, corner of Australia. Very isolated, not a lot uh, goes on. Still a decent-sized city. It's about 2 million people. Uh, But yeah, I wanted to uh, come to America, the land of opportunity, and I uh, ended up uh, getting a soccer scholarship to the Illinois Institute of Technology here in Chicago. And, you know, I loved loved the city so much, loved uh, America, and ended up uh, wanting to stick around. So... Yeah, it'll be uh, 11 years in a, in a couple of weeks uh, that I've been here in America. So apart from the accent, I feel uh, very American. <laughs> hey, I didn't even notice. <laughs> I'm sure you can edit and tone it down a bit. If, uh, <laughs> if uh, I can help out your listeners a little bit. Listen, man, we're going to edit that accent out. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> So you're from Perth, you know, it's a smaller city, but like you said, it's still 2 million. But here's what was interesting. You said you wanted to come to the to America land of opportunity. Was that tongue in cheek or from an Australian perspective, does that perception hold true and does it still hold true? Yeah, I think it does. And uh, not just Australia, but all around the world. I know that, uh, you know, in the media, you might see uh, people given, you know, the US a bit of flack for, for, you know, 10 different reasons. But ultimately, I think that America is still, uh, you know, the hub of uh, entrepreneurship, of business, of uh, freedom. And it's, uh, it's, it's really something that people aspire to. So yeah, we'll get, uh, you know, I'll go back home and, you know, people will make uh, fun of the things happening. Uh, in America, and, you know, granted there are uh, you know potentially worse things happening in Australia. You just don't hear about it in the in the news media. But uh, ultimately, I think there's a lot of respect for uh, American Americans, and some of the greatest businesses to ever exist have come out of America. And you know, I think there's a lot of people out there still trying to chase that dream and get out of their country and get to uh, the United States. I don't want to make it sound like Australia is a third world country or anything that I'm. You know, a refugee or trying to trying to escape that, but definitely when it comes to entrepreneurship and business, uh, there's no no place I'd rather be. 
That's so interesting because, you know, from my perspective, which is basically a a result of what I, the news I consume, that, you know, it just seems like we're getting torn further and further and further apart as a country. Politically, you know, just things are going in a direction, you know, depending on your view. I mean, just just like I I have, because I'm an older guy and frankly, I'm not liberal. I'm not immensely conservative, but I'm not liberal. And, you know, I have a a great fear that what I've worked a lifetime to attain and and, uh, acquire and achieve is at at a risk of getting torn apart in terms of just from like the constitution and et cetera, et cetera. But that, that's a whole other conversation. So that I was interested to hear your perspective and I, and I get it. And I, you know, compared to so many other places, not necessarily just Australia, but like you were saying, other parts of the world, it's still kind of like a shining beacon on the hill kind of thing. And very interesting. So, well, what did your folks do down there? Um, my parents were actually taxi drivers. So they were immigrants themselves. Uh, and then they, uh, you know, they met in Australia. And uh, so I kind of uh, grew up in that uh, kind of low to middle income family. And, you know, they ended up, uh, you know, saving up enough money. They were leasing the, the uh, taxi and then they end up uh, saving up enough money to purchase uh, the, the equivalent of the medallion, uh, which is really a license to operate the taxi business. And so they end up doing that. And, you know, they were working. Uh, uh, I remember when I was younger, my mum was working. Uh, day shift and then my my dad would take over the night shift and they were working really hard all around the clock and you know in uh, hindsight I think that gave me a lot of perspective of of hard work and and you know even being an immigrant in this country uh, now I see so much opportunity where others might you know not not see that so uh, yeah I got brought to America and you know I'm chasing my own dream out here but uh, you know I think there's uh, a lot of lessons I learned uh, growing up fascinating man where are they immigrants from uh, my mom's from the philippines and then my dad uh is from hungary got it philippines and hungary boy yeah, interesting mix huh yeah for for sure but quite frankly this is a highly 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 subjective thing but uh, for some because my this is where my weird brain goes is beautiful people like good looking people in both of those cultures uh yeah i mean i don't really think about it in that context. But uh, yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think my brother got the good genes when it came to uh, to looks. But uh, you know what? It's all right. That's all right. <laughs> Man, you know, you, you could still get you could still get by. You, you could overcompensate with effort. <laughs> but no, you know, Hungarians have that that stealth, not stealth. They've got that healthy Eastern European wholesome. And then, you know, Filipinos are just beautiful. But anyway, I'm way digressing. So tell me in terms of, first of all, EJ Investment Group, what are the letters E and J? Good question. It's a little bit of an inside joke between uh, my partner and I. Maybe I'll tell you outside of the outside of the show, but uh, yeah, it doesn't really stand for anything. It's, okay. uh, we, we don't we don't take naming of our entities too seriously, so uh, yeah, it's just a bit of a, an inside joke. Well, that's funny. I guess uh, nobody's asked that before, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah, we have, we have been asked uh, before. I'll I'll give you a hint. It's uh, it's a reference to the Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, that's all I'll say. But uh, you know, someone who's sharp minded can figure that one out. But yeah, as I said, just just a bit of an inside joke between uh, the two partners. Well, it's funny. I just watched it about a month ago, so I'm right there with you. So how did you get into real estate? And I guess like with your, the office space and the residential units that you guys have, do you guys own those, your company, you and your partner, are they syndicated? Like what's the structure? And I guess what's the backstory? 
Yeah, for sure. So I'll start, um, you know, I was out of college. I uh, got a degree in uh, civil engineering. So I went out as an engineer for a couple of years. But on the side, I naturally had, a, um, you know, an inkling for business and, and uh, real estate was just a, a natural choice. Um, I, you know, I see a lot of people uh, getting into real estate early and, you know, I thought, uh, you know, why not? So I uh, ended up, that's where I ended up connecting with my now partner originally. Uh, we, he was doing a lot of uh, single family residential fix and flips. Uh, he was doing that full time and I was trying to get it uh, into it myself. So he actually helped me out with my first one. I remember I was uh, pretty freshly out of college and I had less than 5k in my bank account, but, uh, you know, we took advantage of you know, every little opportunity I could. I got an FHA 203k loan and uh, that actually gave me the funds to to uh, do the rehab itself. So, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with a 203k loan, but it effectively they give you about up to 35k in renovation money. And then took advantage of all these other different programs. I ended up, uh, uh, there was a 100% dollar down program as well so funny story my first uh first ever real estate deal was um it was about one hundred thirty thousand dollars with forty thousand in and uh yeah i walked away from the closing of, of acquiring the house i got the deed and uh and a check for fifteen thousand dollars which was half of the the money to do the renovation so i thought that's pretty cool i don't think <laughs> and going back to what i was saying i don't i definitely wouldn't have been able to do something like this in australia or probably any other country so even post 2008, it was, uh, you know, surprisingly easy to get uh, financing. So that, uh, that uh, project uh, really started my, started my path to, you know, in real estate investing. And, uh, you know, I've been doing that, doing a, a few more flips uh, after that. And then I was actually working for a real estate developer uh, downtown. We're only a three-man shop, but we were backed by a, a trading firm. Uh, so we had uh, pretty good funding behind us. We were able to do some pretty cool projects. Uh, we built a 10-story condo building in the West Loop here in Chicago and uh, uh, had some other projects out in Prague and uh, and also some single-family homes back here. And then, uh, yeah, I started, uh, you know, discussing with uh, Marcin, uh, my now partner, and was saying that, hey, uh, let's, uh, let's try and do something bigger and better. So we started looking out there. Uh, multifamily was the obvious choice. Uh, to get into, just given our, our residential backgrounds. But we were just looking at some of these cap rates and, and we, we, we just couldn't understand, like, you know, I was saying to myself, I was like, who the F are, are buying these things at, you know, five, six caps, uh, especially on the south side of Chicago where, you know, they're pretty much like the war zones down there. So we started tending a bit more to look at uh, commercial office properties and, you know, we'll, we'll, we were searching for about six months. Um, I was still working... Uh, my full-time job and and uh, Marston had his residential brokerage going as well. But uh, yeah, we ended up landing on our first property and we ended up closing it uh, around January of 2020. It was a 76,000 square foot office building. And yeah, had uh, it, was a, it was about 70% uh, fill. We won it on the auction platform 10X, uh, which has become wildly popular uh, since then. And we haven't been able to get a good deal since uh, but I digress. Uh, but yeah, that really started us off. We got it at nearly a 15 cap, uh, which was really the 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 benchmark of what we wanted on return on our on our uh, money. And uh, yeah, ever since then, that's been able to provide great cash flow. We didn't lose a single tenant through COVID. We actually gained tenants. It was definitely a Class C uh, building. We had to put in some capex into it. But yeah, looking back, that one project made it infinitely easier for us to progress and 
Then we had a track record. We were able to buy some more office buildings and we ended up, uh, you know, kind of pivoting to, to multifamily and multifamily is, you know, it's its own beast. Um, going back to what I was saying about the cap rates, we could not find anything on market that was, that was, uh, you know, within our, our price range or willing to willing to take a dive at. But uh, that's when we started going off market properties and we ended up, uh, you know, picking up a couple of properties off market and we said, hey, let's let's develop this thing. Let's uh, try and see, come up with some more strategies to find off market properties because pretty much everything we're seeing on the market was, uh, was crap. So we uh, started to go in that direction and, you know, here we are today. So first of all, it took me a minute to crawl back into my seat after you said you bought that office building at a 15 cap. Yep. Wow. Yeah. And I think a product of that was, um, 10X. And for those of you, um, your listeners not familiar with 10X, it is an auction platform. It, this was before it got uh, sold to CoStar, who I think have done a wonderful job advertising 10X and the properties on there. Unfortunately for a buyer, that just means more competition. So that's why I kind of alluded to not being able to find as good of deals as we could before. But yeah, this, the terms are extremely strict on 10X. So we, uh, you know, the contract, uh, after you win the auction, you have uh, about two hours to sign the contract. The contract's non-negotiable. Uh, you know, you had to do all the due diligence uh, beforehand. And then within, I think it's 24 hours or 48 hours, you had to submit 10% non-refundable earnest money. So, uh, you know, on a three on a $3.1 million deal, uh, you know, within 24, 48 hours, you have to put up 310K and you pretty much have to close. Otherwise, you know, you don't get, you don't see that money again. So, you know, again, in hindsight, that was uh, a very audacious move, but I think given the, you know, given the circumstances, we were, uh, we were all gone for it. And yeah, to be honest, we probably got it at that price because the terms of the the deal was so strict that it definitely scared away buyers. And uh, uh, when you don't have that kind of competition, yeah, you're going to get get it at a lower price. <laughs> really? Wow. Amazingly, amazingly interesting. But you know what? You put the, the dice down on the roulette wheel and there you go. So how many tenants were in it when you bought it? Uh, there were about, uh, I think about 17. A lot of them were actually attorneys. So it's right across the road from uh, county courthouse. And so there were, there were all kinds of attorneys. There were, uh, uh, you know, just trial attorneys. We had divorce attorneys. Actually, fun uh, side note, it's not really fun, but, uh, you know, divorce attorney has never been busier uh, in a life, <laughs> told us, uh, during the pandemic. So uh, you can read into that what you like. But, uh, yeah, we also had a, a bunch of government agencies, and the government agencies are great. You know, they often pay in advance, and, uh, you know, they pay market price, and they're always... You know, sometimes they are a little late, but then they, they end up paying three months after that. So, you know, kind of a blessing that we went into that uh, into that tenant base. But, uh, you know, again, office are different. I think a lot of uh, attention stigma has been put on office collapsing and dying out. And a lot of those that they're talking about are Class A office downtown, you know, white collar kind of uh, uh, tenant bases. Whereas here we're at, uh, you know, in the suburbs, we're actually pretty close to the Wisconsin border, and we've uh, you know managed to not only keep the tenants but uh, but sign renewals and actually sign up some new tenants. When was it built? Uh, it's an old building. It was uh, built back in the in the fifties, and uh, some of the equipment uh, on there is definitely very dated. Uh, but you know that was uh, that's a function of you know why we're able to get it at a 
at a good price as well. I think a lot of the updates we did were actually aesthetic, uh, but uh, the bones of the building were were very solid and, you know, it was, a, it was a risk we were willing to take at that price. And why were they selling it? Uh, they were actually, it was, the, it was a fund uh, that uh, they had a range of different buildings and they had some pension money, which was due uh, to be, you know, returned back to the uh, back to the investors. So they were under a time crunch. And 10x is actually a, pr- a fantastic platform, or any auction platform for that matter, uh, is is great when uh, you know you have the uh, such strict terms. So you're going to have a, a legitimate buyer who's going to actually close on it. Uh, so when you need a fast exit, you know, I think that's uh, that's what we've seen a lot of properties on 10x. They're not just auctions; aren't just foreclosures. In fact, we don't see too many foreclosures. A lot of them are funds just closing down and you know maybe not taking top top dollar for it but you know they're able to get rid of their portfolio uh, pretty quickly and decisively so were you uh i mean it's it's 70 percent occupancy were you cash flowing you know when the deal closed uh yeah absolutely that's uh that's how we got the uh you know the cap rate where it was i think it was it was around the the half million dollar mark uh, of NOI, and then we ended up uh, getting financing on that as best we could. We got seventy uh, percent LTC, and then uh, yeah, we actually refired as soon as we could. It, you know, unfortunately, with these uh, banks, they don't like to see you refine right after you, you make a purchase, and especially not at a at a higher rate. Uh, but yeah, we we shopped around and we were able to find a lender. So within uh, nine months of owning it, uh, you know, we refined and pulled all the cash out, and now it's still uh, cash flowing uh, strongly, and we don't uh, we don't have any money into it. What an amazing deal! Because the other thing is, is like you know, those are tenants that um, I'm guessing some of those attorneys had probably been in that building for in a market like that, probably for I don't know, 10, 20 years. Some of them, no. Yeah, I mean, I think the oldest tenant in there has been uh, there since '92 which is actually when I was born, uh, which is kind of funny to look back at. Yes, it's, uh, I don't want to make it seem like every deal we get is like that, uh, but it definitely set a benchmark for what we were expecting return-wise and even our strategy in investing is, hey, buy under market or have a little bit of value-add opportunity and uh, refinance out, pull as much cash, if not all of it, out and uh, and do and go on to the next one. So, um, you know, I'm very, I guess we got uh, lucky that that first project was was so, you know, had so much meat on the bone and that allowed us to, uh, you know, the cash flow allowed us to do other things, allowed us to hire, uh, you know, some staff and, and go into other projects as well. So, yeah, it definitely only takes one project to get you going. But, uh, yeah, I feel very blessed that, uh, that this first one uh, panned out the way it did. So at this point, how much staff do you guys have? Uh, we have uh, we have about ten people in the office now, uh, so we have uh, a couple of brokers. We have a you know an in-house uh, counsel, and uh, we actually have four analysts, and and their uh, role is just to uh, find off-market deals, uh, you know, twenty-four seven, three sixty-five. Wow! So you know what you created an opportunity, and you guys are leveraging that to expand, which is ingenious uh, instead of just. Uh I don't know, going to Tahiti with the money. Very, very <laughs> smart. So here, here's the question. So, you know, you guys were starting, you know, kind of like you thought, okay, coming out of single family, multifamily was an obvious choice, but you were looking at cap rates that were ridiculous. In that case, you know, you're looking at South Chicago, a sketchy area, five to six, and you're like, 
that just that dog don't hunt. So you ended up buying this office building. But here's my question. So so why then, although I'm, you know, I'm kind of answering my own question in my brain as I ask this, but I'll go through with it. So I was going to say, so why then would you go back to multifamily? But I guess you've made it abundantly clear that you're just doing, you're just finding stuff off market. So I just answered my own question. And so what's your process of finding, I guess, off market deals? And, you know, what are, you know, what are some of the buildings you've bought off market that have been, you know, good opportunities for you? Yeah, no, I think back to your original question is, uh, is a very fair question. And uh, why we have pivoted uh, more towards multifamily, we are still uh, definitely hunting for commercial office. Um, the yields are a little bit better, but that's also a function of the interest rates. So, you know, the interest rates we're getting on, on commercial are probably a uh, a touch higher and also the leverage we're about uh, able to get, you know, we're probably looking at 65%, maybe 75, uh, 70% on commercial tops. So when, you know, when you compare that to multifamily where we're getting a lot, we're getting um, financing a lot easier. I should touch on that note as well. You know, you mentioned commercial offers uh, to a lender in a, in a pandemic, especially ones that aren't, uh, you know, too used to uh, lending on commercial buildings. You know, it, it is tough. Uh, there are some who they hit commercial office and they, they slam the door in your face, uh, figuratively, of course. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to multifamily, it's, it's the hot thing right now and, uh, and everyone wants it. So it's a lot easier to get higher leverage financing and, you know, lower interest rates. And, and some of these interest rates are really uh, ridiculously low. So, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a function of it and it's a, it's something with a system where, you know, when something's hot, it's easy to get money for. And then uh, when the actual time is to buy, it's very hard to get financing for. And that's why a lot of people make money during downturns who are sitting on cash and able to buy up these properties at a discount. But anyway, to go back to, to multifamily, yeah, our first multifamily property we got as a um, byproduct of an, an office building we bought. And there was a, we were done some renovations to it and a... Um, an article was put out in, in the local paper, and we actually had this this guy who uh, reached out to us. He owned a forty unit uh, portfolio that were townhomes, and he reached out and said, "Hey, would you like to purchase these these townhomes?" And initially, you know, we were still pretty stuck on office, and, and we we liked what we were doing, but uh, we went and took a look at it and uh, ran some numbers, and you know, it, it ended up uh, being around a ten cap, which you know, in the area was trading around seven and a half. Uh, percent cash. So, you know, even just that spread, we ended up, uh, you know, pulling the trigger on it. And we're very, very happy that we did, you know, because yeah, like, while the cash flow isn't quite as good as, as, as the offices, you know, that spread in there is able allowed us to refinance out and pull our cash out and uh, kind of rinse and repeat. So uh, that's what we've been doing with multifamily now. There's a lot more uh, inventory out there. And I think it's a bit easier to uh, to trade as well. So, uh, that's hopefully answers your question on the uh, on the multifamily versus commercial front. Uh, I think it does. Why would the guy sell it for you know a ten cap when the market was seven? Uh, he was uh, he was an old guy who was looking to to move out to to Florida, and you know we were asking ourselves the same question. You know, whenever a deal falls in your lap, you always you know that uh, skeptic in the back of your mind is always asking you know why am I so lucky? Uh, but you know we did our due diligence. I think a lot of his actual expenses uh, were overblown. And this is where we've kind of got uh, seen a lot of opportunity, especially with these um, older guys who are just looking to to retire or, or just cash out of their properties. A lot of time they're not uh, calculating 
you know, the actual uh, numbers correctly. You know, he had in there some, some salaries for, for some guys he was paying, you know, some uh, gas gas bills for his, for his truck that he was driving around. And when we're able to actually decipher a lot of these numbers and, and put our own data points to it, we figured out that this, this thing was actually uh, a lot better than, than he'd uh, initially indicated. So that got us thinking and that really set the, the tone for what we look for with off-market properties is maybe not so much a, I like to say non-sophisticated, but, you know, a lot of uh, hodgepodge calculations. And when you can kind of get through those weeds, there's some value uh, value there. And on those townhomes, like, were they concentrated in one area or were they spread out, diffuse over a number of places and like what vintage and what, you know, what class essentially? Yeah, they're definitely um, class class C, uh, maybe B minus. They're actually, they're actually pretty nice, but in general, we look... For the uh, the Class C buildings, lower to middle income is, is really our sweet spot. We don't go to the war zones. Uh, we don't look for those really double-digit you know yields where we're having to deal with other issues. But again, we're not looking at the, the super nice stuff. So we kind of figure out that middle ground. And uh, yeah, these are all in the same on the same street. Um, they're on opposite sides of the block, and they're just they're just really row houses. But uh, yeah, that's that's really how we how we started in it. And we kind of like that middle ground where you can get decent cap rates, but, uh, you know, again, you're not dealing with, with the issues of, you know, gangs and, you know, all that kind of stuff that's uh, sometimes associated with uh, Chicago. What's fascinating, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that, I'm sure you're aware of this, is that in the multifamily space writ large in places like, you know, all the all the popular places, Charlotte and, you know, Atlanta and Dallas and Phoenix and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you're really buying stuff. Now, granted, some of the stuff is typically B and maybe it's a, a newer vintage than you're talking about. But even still, you're looking at four caps and, you know, you just got to really be drinking the Kool-Aid just to kind of think that this party's going to keep going, which it may and it um, may not. So I think there's a lot of risk in those deals. So when you're buying something at a seven cap that's not, you know, D or even C minus in, in like South Chicago, you know, it sounds pretty enticing, you know, especially, uh, you know, if you've got the management piece of it nailed down, which is then my next question is, how are you managing that portfolio? Yeah, so we're actually, uh, we've actually recently brought our, uh, management in-house. Uh, we were using a third-party uh, service, which was uh, fantastic uh, for what we needed. But uh, you know, we grew. We've grown to a, a scale where it made a lot of sense to uh, bring it in-house. So we've uh, hired a property manager uh, now, and you know, their job is really just to to uh, not not necessarily leave the office, but just set up uh, all the vendors and everything around the around the city, and uh, you know, manage these properties and. Um, you know, going on to uh, City Point, which I'm sure we'll talk about soon. You know, that's the kind of service that we want to provide also to uh, clients who end up buying their own uh, multifamily properties. And, you know, they might be out of state uh, or even just uh, far away from where the actual property is, it may be even in the same town. Uh, but having that in house uh, just gives us a lot more control. And, uh, you know, we're not really setting up as a as a money-making opportunity, it's really just keeping control, keeping a lid on on everything that's happening, and using uh, you know economies of scale to to really uh, save us some money. 
well, you know, at the rate that I ask questions, we might not get to City Point for like another three or four hours. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> um, so it's your show. You, can, you can do whatever you like. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the indulgence. No, it's such a great, I love the story, man. It's a great, great, great story. And it's so refreshing because again, as I told you before we started recording, you know, a lot of the interviews I do are like, you know, big two, 300 units and it, you know, which is great. But it, to me, it, it's starting to have a real sameness to it, which this feels just so much more meat on the bone. It ap- appeals to my personal greed a lot more, quite frankly. With the um, in-house management, I'm kind of reading by what you said that you haven't brought the construction in-house yet. You're basically building a portfolio of contractors that you're going to sub out to at this point. Is that correct? Yeah, we actually have a, a close uh, friend of ours who uh, started uh, a general contracting company a few years ago. So he's actually been doing a lot of our developments, uh, redevelopments, I should say. And, and whenever we have uh, you know needs at uh, you know offices or multifamilies that need work, so he's been you know we've been pretty lucky to have uh, him uh, as a, a, a helping us out, I should say. And I'll give him a shout out. It's uh, uh, his name's Chris uh, from CK Construction. Uh, thoroughly recommend him, uh, but uh, yeah, he's always very quick t- uh, to help us, and he's done. Uh, yeah, he's helped us uh, along the way a lot, and really, we haven't had to go through a lot of the growing pains that uh, you know a lot of people in our position might do with going through different contractors and uh, bidding stuff out, and you know, all contractors have their uh, pros and cons, their strengths and weaknesses. And, uh, you know, that goes for, for everyone we've, we've ever used. But uh, I think that it's made a lot smoother um, having that almost quasi in-house. Uh, so, yeah, the construction side's been uh, great and it's been able to allow us to focus more on the other facets of our business rather than taking phone calls and trying to make meeting contractors all day. Yeah, yeah. You'll be able to scale a lot quicker having uh kind of put this component in place. The last question, I think, on these townhomes is when were they built and what are the rents approximately? Yeah, so the uh, townhomes themselves were built in the uh, mid-60s. And so they were uh, they all have their own uh, system. So it's not a common uh, uh, HVAC system or anything. So they're all effectively all almost like single family houses in that respect uh the rents uh, they're all they're all two bedrooms and they were actually uh, steeply under rented which was uh, part of the reason we actually went into this uh project as well not even not even just the cap rate but the fact that there were they were well below market rent uh they're probably around uh, uh some of them range between six uh seven hundred dollars eight hundred dollars when really the market should have been uh around a thousand uh, to eleven. So there was a huge uh, discrepancy there. And, you know, I could go into details about why that is. And we see it, we see it as a common trend about uh, across a lot of properties we look at and, uh, and target. But uh, effectively, that, that was really the icing on the cake, which said, hey, let's go in here and uh, we've got a lot of room to work with and, and really pump this NOI up. Well, you threw it out there. Uh, you said you have a theory as to why. So I got asked the question, why is it a common trend? Uh, I say common. I, I don't think it's it's everywhere. But again, going back to um, a lot of these uh, smaller units, I'm talking small, like a hundred, uh, less than a hundred. A lot of them are actually in the maybe six to to twenty unit range, where uh, you know old, uh, owners are getting uh, older. A lot of them are looking to exit, but a lot of them have also self managed the, their properties themselves. And if you kind of think about it, 
uh, we were trying to think about why, why is there some discrepancies in, in rents here? And uh, the thing is, when you're, a, when you're an owner and you're going and a lot of these owners are collecting rents as well, collecting checks, uh, collecting cash. If, you, if you're telling them to, you know, your tenants to, you're going to raise the rent on them, especially having a personal relationship with them like some of them do, uh, you know, it, it can be tough sometimes. So I, I think, and it's just a theory of mine, but I think that self-managing, you know, we're all humans. We all have that, you know, that kindness emotion when you see someone already in stress to, to raise the rents 50, 60 bucks on them uh, per month. You know, it, it's a, it, it can be a tough thing to do, but, uh, you know, I think having a, having a third party management uh, service in between that, you know, kind of takes, you know, that human element um, out of it. And, you know, it is, it is rough. Uh, and I know a lot of landlords will get stick from the media or the general public, but at the end of the day, we need to make uh, rent payments as well. We need to make mortgage payments and, uh, you know, things could change very quickly and we could be underwater. So, you know, you have to do it as a, as a, you know, you need to do yourself a service and your investors a service as well to keep those rents at, at market rate. But yeah, definitely over the years, over the course of owning something for 20, 30 years, you could definitely slide, uh, you know, those rents uh, could definitely slide away from market rent, especially in recent years where market rents have been uh, dramatically increased, you know, all across the country. It, uh, it makes sense that some of these rents have been left behind. And, you know, we have, uh, I always get the questions like, oh, so what, you're just going to raise some of these rents by, you know, three, $400. And yeah, we, we end up doing that. And some of the tenants at first, they, they, uh, you know, they curse at us and they, they hate us and cause all kinds of names. And then, you know, they look out at the market and see that they're actually still getting a good deal where, where, uh, where they are right now. So we're really just, you know, not trying to harp on it too much, but, uh, you know, we have to, you know, make them make money and make, uh, you know, ram home our investment uh, for the sake of our investors and ourselves. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, we're still, we're still offering uh, you know, a place to live at, uh, at uh, market rent or below market rent. You know, I, I've heard of this kindness thing that you're describing and, and um, I've, I've never been able to relate to it personally. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, Roger. Good for you. <laughs> so you gotta, sometimes you got to have that mentality and, uh, you know, not everyone has it. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's capitalism and it's business. And uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners can, uh, can relate. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't be here. Very, very true. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I, I owned a property in San Francisco where you could raise the rent like point oh 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 one percent per year. Um, and and I had one tenant who was at the top of the building, and she had been there since nineteen. 75. Now you just said you were born in 1992. She was paying $600 a month because of this and the market yep. rent on it. If I say it's 4,500 and I'm wrong, let's just say I'm wrong. That means it was actually really higher uh, pre-COVID. It might've been 4,800, whatever. And you know what? Nice lady uh, never really decided that um, learning English was something that she was going to really devote any time to. So, okay, yeah, fair enough, blah, blah, blah. And, and actually, you know, I'm, I'm kind of being a jerk about it. Very, very sweet lady. But the reality is this, as a landlord, I was being taken advantage of. Now, she's not doing anything maliciously and there's not ill intent. Uh, and I bought the building, but, you know, I bought it thinking she was going to literally die and move. And, 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 all the, and the other tenants were kind of like in that 
realm too, because she was like 86, 88 and, you know, climbing stairs and you could tell I'm completely heartless. And, and, that, and then I found out one day that her daughter was living with her who's about 40. And I'm thinking, and, and in San Francisco, you go to litigate and you'll lose, you know, about 100% of the time if you're the landlord. <laughs> and so I, I realized, you know what, this is going to be literally, literally an 80 year fucking, I've never sworn this podcast to just then, a fucking 80 year tenancy. And that's when I decided to sell the building. And there was no lease because it from the previous owner, because again, it was from 1975, one of these deals. Anyway, what did you pay for the uh, townhomes? Uh, that one was, uh, we paid, let's see, uh, we, we paid around 3.2 million for that one. Robert, are you guys syndicating or are you guys just taking these down on your own? Uh, more or less, we've been, we, we structured every deal uh, differently. Our, our first deal, uh, we actually had an investor who we tried to pitch him uh, to be a partner on the deal, but he was kind of uh, scared away by uh, commercial offers. Having said that, he trusted us and, uh, you know, he, he ended up just loaning us the money uh, for, a, for a coupon. Uh, it's pretty much 12% uh, straight debt. And, uh, you know, that actually worked out to our favor because we we're able to repay them as soon as we, uh, as soon as we refine and then end up owning, you know, the, the whole building. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we, lately we've been trying to get into to more and more of, uh, you know, uh, partnerships where we're the general partner and, uh, you know, we have some limited partners uh, putting up uh, cash and we will be uh, starting a fund uh, by the end of this year as well. So, uh, but to answer your question, it's really a deal by uh, deal basis. A lot of it depends on our liquidity at the time. Uh, you know, you're trying to line up, uh, you know, cash with the deals coming in and trying to get, uh, you know, the bigger deals, trying to have get out ahead of them and make sure there's there's money for that. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, it's really a deal by deal basis. And if you've got like 150 residential units, how and you could define this however you want, but how many buildings is that per se? Because inevitably there's some multifamily in there. Yeah, uh, probably around uh, seven or eight. Uh, yeah, we have some some uh, some smaller ones and some bigger ones, and we're also uh, you know selling some of them as well. You know, when uh, multifamily is so hard, so when we get a uh, someone might come up to us and 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 give us an offer, you know, we'll. We'll negotiate that as well. So we keep it very fluid. Uh, we don't have a specific uh, unit count that we're, we're striving for. And I, I actually hate the metric of, uh, you know, door count. I think that uh, people use it to, you know, try and compare to how, how one investor is doing versus another. But I think it's really a case of how many good deals uh, you have. And if you only have, uh, you know, 20 units, but uh, you got it at an absolute steal and, and that's all that's all you want. That's that's fantastic. I mean, you could have four thousand units and and be just you know slightly head above water, and and uh, you know one thing goes wrong, interest rates rise, uh, you know tenants move out, then then you're completely underwater. So uh, yeah, it's just balancing. You know, trying to obviously build build units, but also just making sure first and foremost that these are good deals that we're getting into. Yeah, I, I totally get that. It's it's just an ego thing. And, you know, people could be on the precipice of going south and they don't even know it. But just to get a sense of scale, I guess, on the higher end, you know, what would be a bigger building, I guess, within your portfolio, just in, in terms of number of units? Yeah, we, we probably uh, right now we're, we're chasing a hundred unit, uh, which uh, we should have under contract uh, pretty 
pretty shortly. We will have uh, that. That will probably be our biggest right now. Our biggest um, is that forty unit that we initially bought. But uh, yeah, we're really sticking, trying to stick between that thirty to a hundred unit range. I think uh, less than that, you know, we start to run into a lot of uh, first-time investors who are we're getting into. And it's really not; just, it's just not worth our time if we have to go out and fundraise for a, you know, twelve unit. It's just a lot of work. It's the exact. I don't want to say it's the exact same amount of work that it takes to to fund, uh, you know, an eighty and a hundred unit. I'll like even go further in saying that it's probably harder uh, to to do that uh, than it is to raise money for a for a bigger. Uh, a bigger complex, but uh, yeah, beyond a hundred. And it, again, this is dependent on the market, but we start really competing with these, uh, you know, these institutional investors, these, um, you know, these real sophisticated investors and quite frankly, their threshold for, um, you know, uh, purchase price is just beyond what we're, we're willing to ever pay. How are you finding deals then? Yeah, so um, that's actually, uh, you know, really the crux of our business. And we uh, decided, you know, probably about a year ago that, you know, we want to center our business on finding deals. And we've, you know, I know I know some other uh, friends that, that kind of do the same, uh, you know, investment types that we do. And I asked them, what do you do day to day? And a lot of it is they're on the phones trying to raise money, you know, meet, meet brokers, uh, you know, just networking. And, and I definitely try and do as much of that as I can, but we kind of went back to square one and just said, Hey, if we're able to find a good deal, that's uh, below, below market, uh, preferably off market, you know, we're going to be able to find, find the money. So what do we need to find deals? And we look back and how we found out our previous deals, uh, you know, some of them are definitely by luck. Um, in fact, for the most part, they were, <laughs> they had some element of luck associated with them. Uh, but uh, yeah, we said let's let's um, let's hire an analyst. Let's uh, have someone full time uh, searching searching for deals. And you know, over that time, we end up hiring uh, three more. And we started finding trends and coming up with different strategies. And you know, it's easy to say if you want to sit down in front of a blank sheet of paper with uh, with everyone and just brainstorm ideas. Yeah, you might you might come up with a half good idea here and there, but. If you're actually in the weeds, you know, calling um, calling owners all day, you know, trying different things uh, like like our analysts are, that's when you really start finding uh, some things that work, some things that don't work, and coming up with clever and creative strategies. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to give away the keys to the castle per se, but uh, you know, there are some. Uh, I'll say half of it is definitely some uh, some pretty clever strategies, and I'll give my analysts credit for that. They've come up with the bulk of uh, the ways of, of finding deals. But a lot of it, to be honest, is just uh, hard grunt work and putting in the hours. And, uh, you know, you've got to kiss a lot of toes before you find uh, a property that's actually worth pursuing. Interesting. Okay. So you're, you're, you're not going to give up the golden nuggets, but uh, yeah. Uh, honestly, I, I couldn't even, I, I generally know, um, you know, uh, uh, the bulk of it, but uh, even it gets so intricate with some of these, you know, the different, uh, methods they're using and I kind of just let, uh, let them run with it. But, uh, you know, again, I'm not going to say that it's, it's a golden goose per se, but, uh, definitely in terms of keeping efficient, uh, you know, using your time to the, to the best, uh, of their abilities, you're able to cut through a lot of the, uh, you know, BS that is out there and, uh, you know, off market properties have been, has been, uh, very fruitful to us. And I think a part of that is just, uh, you know, the fact that, as I said before, everything on the market seems to be, 
uh, either crap or, you know, if it is half decent, you know, it has 10 alphas within the first 48 hours. All right. Well, this, Robert, I think is a good segue for City Point. So, you know, this is how I think you got into City Point as you guys were just un- uh, uncovering a lot of great deals. And then you were putting out of town buyers and kind of making a match and kind of a win, win, win. And so, you know, roll on that. Yeah. So we started this, uh, you know, this analyst group, uh, you know, probably around nine months ago. And we ended up uh, trying, you know, it started up with trying to find us deals, trying to find uh, commercial office, trying to find, uh, you know, bigger multifamily complexes. Uh, but a lot of the properties that were coming up uh, against were actually like, you know, in the range of four to 12 uh, units. And as I said before, it's like, you know, some of these deals were actually uh, pretty good, but we just weren't, you know, we're looking for a little bit more, a little bit more scale. It just made things easier for us, even getting financing and, and then raising the capital as well was just uh, a little bit easier with these, uh, with these bigger deals. And so we started uh, kind of, you know, sending them to, to friends and family. We, we, you know, there's an endless uh, amount of people looking for, looking for multifamily or looking for somebody to put their money, especially with the, uh, stock market as inflated as it, uh, as it is. And, you know, we, um, yeah, we started sending them out. We started just brokering them. Uh, we ended up, you know, negotiating with the, with the seller to just give us a little bit of a, a cut. We're going to keep it completely off market. We're not advertising ourselves uh, as brokers. We're not putting it out on the, on the open market. And I think honestly, a lot of owners have appreciated um, that, that kind of uh, discretion and, uh, you know, connecting them with a, with a buyer who's kind of going to keep it, uh, you know, on the down low, not, uh, you know, not doing 10 different inspections, having a, a bunch of different walkthroughs. Uh, and so, yes, that's really how we started uh, City Point. Um, we started marketing them to out-of-state investors, and I think that's actually how how we got connected. And, uh, yeah, really that's our, um, you know, part of our business now is, is the brokerage side and connecting out-of-state investors with properties in uh, you know, in the Chicago land end area, Northwest Indiana. And I think what, uh, you know, we find from the investors, we predominantly uh, target, uh, you know, the West Coast out by where you're at. And one of the reasons are you just get a lot of inflated uh, prices out there. You know, your dollar's not going to go very far. Whereas, you know, here in the Midwest, uh, you can buy a lot more uh, for a lot less. And, you know, part of that is putting everything in place, you know, the property management, uh, you know, the legal counsel, uh, you know, contractors, vendors, all of that thing. So you can really manage your property uh, from out of state, um, you know, and, and, and collect, the, uh, collect the income from it. So you're nine months in or thereabouts, you know, what's, a, you know, typical, such a insufficient word because it's, you know, there, there might not be a typical, but lacking a better word, you know, what's a typical common scenario for an out-of-town buyer that you're finding through those efforts that smaller than, you know, what's worth it for you guys to deal with that you would then broker to somebody out of town, number of units, uh, price per building, rents, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's not necessarily, um, the size as well, but, uh, you know, it's a return. Some, uh, investor, every investor has different, uh, needs and requirements. For instance, uh, we're definitely looking at stuff in the double digit cap rates and maybe even some value add opportunity. 
Uh, so we took on a redevelopment uh, project of a, a vacant office building, and you know we're expecting once once we're able to to fill it to have some uh, very very juicy returns. But there are definitely people out there sitting on cash who. Uh, would even take a, a lower cap rate, uh, the eight, seven, maybe the sixes, uh, but just have something steady and, and, and nice. And so, yeah, there's different, uh, different criteria uh, for everyone. But typically what we're finding is a lot of these um, kind of older four units to around 12 unit buildings. And uh, we try and look for things that are under, under rented, for instance, uh, where there's a value add opportunity there where you can push the rent to market rent or just flatly, uh, you know, underpriced. And again, we talked about that before, you know, some of the reasons they're underpriced, you know, you have a self-managing owner who's maybe not calculating the, uh, you know, the expenses right. Oftentimes they, they, they it goes the other way where they, they reduce expenses way too much, but, uh, you know, we're able to land on some of these deals where, you know, that typically the minimum we would, we would put them out at is a, is an eight cap, but uh, definitely there's, there's value uh, add opportunities to get that in the double digits, or you just buy it straight up in you know in the nines or even ten uh, cap range. So, you know, with that said, these aren't you know beautifully uh, you know built last year kind of buildings, but uh, you know we go through the inspection process and make sure that you know it has the good bones. Um, you know, it's a, it's a solid area again. That lower to middle income uh, class area is our sweet spot. We stay out of the war zones, but we're not looking at the you know, the new stuff, the real nice uh, uh, class uh, A or even B plus stuff. Uh, so that's typically where we land. You know, it's not for everyone. Uh, but I think that uh, definitely our investors have uh, enjoyed the yield and it's something that you're not able to get uh, everywhere. There are definitely places that have, uh, have those kind of yields, but, uh, you know, we're trying to we're trying to offer a different option investment vehicle for, for those, especially, uh, you know, on the West Coast. So how does somebody deal with the management? Do you kind of refer a management company? Because I'm, I'm assuming, but maybe this is where I'm wrong. I'm assuming you're not doing, you're not applying your property management that you guys have brought in-house to these properties. Those are just for the ones that you own, or am I incorrect? No, uh, that's definitely uh, part of it is, is, and why we brought it in-house is to have that management uh, available to investors uh, who, who own out of state. And, you know, we, uh, again, the, the goal of the property management isn't really to make money. It's almost just to, to give comfort and have a bit of oversight and control. And, uh, you know, we, we only charge uh, 5% uh, management fees, which I don't know what the rates are around the country, but around here, it's definitely in the 7 to 8% range. And it's a little bit above uh, probably break even for where uh, where we are and the number of units we have. But again, it's more of the service that if we, you know, provide that management and you know the the investors happy with it. You know, they're more likely to to want to buy more uh, in the future. Having said that, you know, it's a, it's an open market, so we do offer that that service. But you know, if someone has a, a property manager or knows some other people or has some recommendations, uh, not just for property managers but for contractors, inspectors, attorneys, all that kind of thing, they're welcome to to use them. Again, we're just trying to provide options, uh, you know, and be as flexible as possible and let the investor uh, make the best decision for them. And so as part of this, then will you guys literally do the paperwork and, you know, is it, it does it become really a passive for the, for the owner? Yeah, it, uh, it, it really does. And not me, you know, I wouldn't personally be doing the paperwork, but our property <laughs> manager here uh, definitely takes care of, 
uh, of that uh, of that reporting. And you know, we try and provide uh, you know institutional level reporting. Now we're not going to go overboard and, and uh, with with too many facts and figures, but. Uh, a lot of these properties in the you know in the uh, in the lower unit count range, um, they haven't they don't typically have the best uh, you know the best reporting and the best numbers. And as I said, a lot of them are owner managed, and you know sometimes we get numbers scribbled on a piece of paper. So we, we're definitely looking to to be an improvement uh, on that. But uh, yeah, it's really supposed to be a passive you know one stop shop for uh, for the investor. So you know they can. Kind of uh, a lot of them work full time, uh, you know, nine to five jobs, and, and have families and, and other things on, in the background as well. So uh, the last thing you want to do is be out of state and be be hands on. It makes a ton of sense what you're doing, and I mean great value because, frankly, even there in Chicago, but much less, you know, twenty five hundred miles away, they can't source these kind of deals. There's just no way, uh, much less really kind of oversee the you know, the operations of it. So, man, you're doing some super, super cool stuff. Robert, tell the audience how they would get a hold of you uh, if they were to want to pursue a conversation and see how they can engage with you on some level. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, go to our website, citypoint.org, spelled C-I-T-I point.org. And uh, we have some educational material there as well. Part of this is also just, uh, you know, getting... Uh, people up to speed with how commercial real estate is valued and the huge value-add opportunities you have, even just by increasing increasing rents or buying at a, a lower cost basis, and you know all the other advantages, you know, depreciation and that kind of thing with that come along with uh, multifamily properties. So at the very least, I think it's it's cool that uh, you know getting people who don't know anything about commercial real estate, maybe they've done some residential flips or, or rentals, but don't quite uh, know how to get to that next level. Um, but you can contact me through there. Also, feel free to shoot me an email. I, I read all my emails. So uh, you can reach me at robert at ejcommercial.com. Yeah, as I said, uh, a lot of our, um, I won't say a lot, but a few of our investors actually come and uh, become limited partners with us on our on our bigger projects as well. So uh, the opportunities are really endless. And, uh, you know, like you, I appreciate uh, just connecting with other investors and like-minded people. And I think, uh, your show is great for that. And I've listened to a few episodes before we came on uh, today. And, uh, you know, you see a lot of similarities between people doing this all over uh, the country. And, uh, you know, again, we're just one one other opportunity that, uh, that your listeners might be able to utilize. Words of wisdom. Robert, I uh, have enjoyed every second of this and um, hats off to everything that you're doing, man. You, you guys have kind of, uh, you know, you put yourself in a situation to be successful and you've been granted that success and you'll continue to do incredible things. I'm positive of that. Oh, thanks, Roger. It means a lot. And uh, yeah, still early days, you know, I'm going to make uh, a few more mistakes along the way, but uh, I'm glad I can... Uh, you know, you put your resources out there and uh, be able to maybe mitigate some of that just by listening uh, to the experience of some of your uh, guests as well. So uh, much appreciated you uh, going out of your way and, and uh, putting this uh, show together. Got it. Well, I will talk to you soon and be in contact. All right. Thanks, everyone. You got it.